welcome back to episode two of the Story Podcast. Episode two. We're this is really, real. We're really this doing is real. this. Yeah. At first, it's like, let's try a podcast. And we recorded the first episode and with Jeremy. It was great. Feedback is incredible. Everybody loves Jeremy Coward. How could you not? Sure. Uh, super inspiring guy. But like, it was like the skepticism, even of myself, of like, are we going to be able to do this? But here we are. We're doing it. Episode two. We have like a real podcast now. We made it. And I've talked you into sticking with me. You're back again. Somehow. Yeah, yeah. Here I am. No, really. I really am really excited. And this interview is something which was also very interesting for me. It talked me into doing it, too, because I am a huge fan like of our next guest, Nikki Giovanni, world famous poet, She's like a activist. Legend. She's a total legend. I like freaked out talking to her. You can probably hear my voice shaking in the interview, so don't make fun of me. <laughs> I'm sure you did an incredible job. I can't wait to hear it. Uh, but this is, this is like a big deal. You know, Sammy was like, I'm really nervous. And we, we sat down and interviewed Jeremy together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was fine. So it's like, if I wasn't great at this, you could like pick up the slack. And <laughs> if you got nervous, it's like I was there and I could jump in. We got through it together. Um, but here we are, episode two, and I sent you out on your own. I, yeah, I flew on my own, <laughs> left the nest. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, we, uh, unfortunately, our conference budget has eaten up all of our plane tickets. <laughs> so when Sammy says she flew, she means uh, she called Nikki on the phone. And, yeah. Um, yeah, she's in, she, uh, from afar, just heard so many incredible things. And I was excited to get her on the podcast. Um, I was super excited that she said yes and was agreed to be interviewed by us because I wanted to find someone who could contribute to the conversation uh, in cre- from a creator's perspective, from a writer's perspective, mm-hmm. the conversation that is taking place all across this country right now um, because of some of the recent things that have sprung up about racial tension, uh, which is a serious problem. Yeah, and it's been a problem for a really long time. And Nikki has been a part of raising her voice for a very long time, too. So Yeah, so she's, I mean, she watched the beginning of whatever this new season of fighting racism was and then watched it all unfold and is still around today to see the new conversations that are coming up. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, this, this is what I love about the story tribe. Like people ask me all the time, what is story? Like, no, oh, you leave this conference called story. What is it? Um, and, and yes, it is a creativity conference. It is a place to come learn how to tell better stories. Yes. You'll learn a lot. Yes. You'll go back and be inspired to be more creative and do some of your best work ever. But it's so much more meaningful than just that. It's not only yeah. those things. What I love about this tribe is, you know, storytellers and creators are constantly asking themselves, how can our art, how can the stories we tell, how can the things we create contribute to meaningful conversations that yeah. need to be had? And this is a conversation that needs to be had. So I'm excited. I'm excited to hear this interview. I'm sure it was awesome. It was. It was. Right, good. Yeah. So here is uh, Sammy Harvey sitting down with Nikki and Giovanni. excited to talk with you today. I realized while we were preparing for our interview that we both grew up in Knoxville. Isn't that crazy? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. What can you tell me about your childhood? Oh, well, you see, I, I was, I'm the first person in my family to have been born in a, ho- in a uh, hospital. And I was born, in the, it's no longer there, but I was born in the old Knoxville uh, hospital. And of course, uh, I grew up, my, my grandparents lived on uh, Mulvaney Street, which is no longer there either. It's now um, Summit Drive, named for uh, Pat Summit. 
but um, the, when Avon Rollins was uh, mayor, he had a um, a uh, um, memorial put up for for me for 400 Mulvaney Street, which is there. It's really very nice. And it just says that I grew up there and that this was a neighborhood. There, You know, you almost want to uh, have a, a, a beginning of a, um, uh, a novel. There was once a neighborhood. And uh, now, of course, uh, uh, University of Tennessee has taken over all of that. But uh, there, was, there was once a neighborhood. And uh, my my grandparents lived there, and I remember our neighbors. And of course, growing up uh, right across the street from us is the old Cal Johnson Park. And uh, Dr. Johnson left that property to uh, to the city, but he did it in such a way, thank God, that they can never get rid of it. And so the the uh, Johnson uh, Cal Johnson Park will always be there. It's still there. So that the black kids can have a place to, uh, the tennis courts are there, and uh, there's still a building there. Uh, the, the houses are gone. The gym theater is gone. The uh, 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 pharmacy is gone. You know, all of that is gone, but mm. uh, the park is still there. That's really interesting. Do you feel like there was a moment while growing up when you discovered or realized that you were a poet? Well, you know, it, it, it's really funny because I don't think I've ever had a realization. <laughs> I I, uh, I, <laughs> I like to tell stories, and I grew up in the South, and the South is a storytelling um, mm-hmm. uh, area. Mm-hmm. Not that the North doesn't have it, but if right. you look at who tells the most stories, the South does. And I grew up, of course, and not of course, but I grew up in the Baptist church, and of course the church tells stories. You know, you hear that mm. every Sunday. You go to church and you sing songs and you, you read your Bible and, and you interpret stories. But this is all good. And I think, um, I was talking to someone recently about that. I think that uh, the kids, the youngsters who uh, don't go to church are really missing something mm. in terms of, of learning how to stand on stage and present themselves. I think that, they, um, that they're missing something. I really I really do, because you, when you, you know, you go to Sunday school from when you're, oh, five or six years old, uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Easter, Christmas, you always had to recite, you always had to learn a poem, you always had to sing a song, and so by the time you got to be, you know, a teenager or so, you're in, in a segregated school, yes, but nonetheless, in that school, you're standing on stage and you're reciting once again, so that you become very much uh, comfortable with yourself. Mm, that's really interesting. So you are an English professor at Virginia Tech and have been for a while now. What advice do you share with your students as a professor? Well, the thing that I try to definitely uh, impress upon my students is to be themselves. And uh, I have a wonderful student. I had a wonderful student. He's graduated now, Kwame Alexander, who last year won the um, the Newbery Prize for his book, The Crossover. And it's it's the first novel that actually came out in um, in in uh, rap. It's a rap novel, and it's so wonderful. And I'm so proud of Kwame because, as he said, you you gave me the confidence. You told me I should be myself. Uh, you know, you don't want your your writers to try to write like someone. You want them to find their own voice and to be comfortable with themselves. And uh, Kwame has done that, and I think some other students uh, that I have have done that. So um, Jordan Holmes, uh, and we are beginning to uh, perform together in Chicago. Jordan is from Chicago. And Jordan is just a wonderful young man, too. So I'm very excited. Angel Walsh, who is now in um, Hawaii, and I'm very excited about about what they're going to do with their careers, and I hope they do. I, I wish them well.
Mm, I love that. I love how supportive you are of your students. You know, something that I've been curious about for a long time has been what are your daily practices and your routines? How do you most often begin your day? Well, the first thing I do every morning, of course, is I read the birthdays. (laughs) (laughs) I I do, and I get teased about that. But the first thing I do is I open, uh, we read the Roanoke Times, of course, that's our daily paper. And I open the extra session, and I I look to see whose birthday it is and who's alive. I always (laughs) like it when they have the, you know, 89 and 90-year-olds, because I'm 73. And so (laughs) I I like it when I see that. And then I look at uh, what happened on this day, which usually starts back in 1700, you know, you see, this is what happened. And then I read my horoscope. And of course, I always like it when, when I'm, I get the five stars. This is a great day. And I thought, this is wonderful. And uh, that's how I begin my day. But mostly what, what, you, what I think any writer has to, or anybody has to do with the day, is there mm-hmm. has to be something you're reading, something you're looking at, mm-hmm. something you're taking in. Mm-hmm. I love that. I totally agree. And then after that, after you read through the newspaper, do you have any writing practices or warm-ups of any kind that you do um, to get started on your work? Not actually. Um, mostly, as I said, I, I'm reading. I'm always going to look at the paper, look at something. And I'm learning now how to use, um, what is that thing, the iPhone? Is it? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> everybody's trying to teach me how to use it because you can now touch that, that thing, uh, Safari. Yeah, and uh, it'll tell you what the news is, and I, so I'm learning how to use that, and I'm learning how to use. I have a new computer, and uh, aside from the fact that I hit my old computer and broke it, uh, they said you shouldn't hit your computer, but it wasn't doing right, and so now I have a new computer, and I'm learning to use that. <laughs> so, Good for you. So I'm, I'm proud of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nikki, you're an exceptionally talented person, and I'm sure you'll figure out all the new technology that comes your way. But speaking of talent, I'm sure you have so many ideas for new projects. Am I right? Well, I have not dozens, but I do have a lot of, um, I do. Uh, I'm always wondering, you know, why not this? Why not that? And uh, I'm very lucky because, again, uh, some of my, my students, and I'm enjoying working with them, uh, I'm beginning to work with Jordan. I mentioned Jordan Holmes. I'm beginning to work with Jordan because Jordan is such an incredible writer, but his writing also is so deep into what it means to be a black man. He's got this thing, uh, the, the poem called Black Mail. Black Mail comes to my house every day. He said the mailman brings it. It's incredible. But in listening to that, I'm also listening to, oh, and what are the blues? And so I asked Jordan to listen to Count Basie so that we can begin to talk about, you know, how do we put what you're saying with what uh, Count Basie put with Joe Williams, you know, just to see what happens. Mm. So, Nikki, in regards to the conversation that's ongoing about racism in America, how can creators and storytellers play a role in helping create more peace? Well, I think that we are, uh, one, we're positive. I really did enjoy the Democratic uh, National Convention because we are a positive, they were positive about, yeah, there's some problems, but uh, everybody has problems. That's, That's called life. You know, you have problems. But... The reality is, you have to be positive about what we're going to what we're going to find. That uh, you know, we we dig in the ground because eventually we hope that we are going to you know run into gold, if I can put it that way. And so it becomes important that we remain um, uh, optimistic. If you think about being a Black American, which I am, and you think about when we came to this country in the 1600s, 
what in the world would make those people say, well, we, we're going to be, it's going to be all right. I'm going to find a way. The Lord will take, will make a way. What in the world would make those people say, we can overcome? Well, what, what would make people do that? And they've come some three or 400 years believing that things will get better and things have gotten better. Nothing is perfect, but things have gotten better. Mm. And that's what you, what you want. You want to have that faith that things can get better. I love that attitude so much. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you've learned to overcome fear and resistance in your own life? Well, I'm, I'm a part of the uh, generation, of course, that, that was the sit-in generation. So fear was just not one of the possibilities. And uh, you're there in Nashville, and I was a Fisk University. I am a Fisk University graduate. And so as we were sitting in and as we were beginning to fight that segregation had to stop, fear was just not one of the possibilities because if you were afraid, if you let yourself be afraid, you wouldn't do anything. (laughs) So you had to get out there. And it's not that you did all that much. You know, we sat in and we marched and we crossed bridges. We did what we could do, but you couldn't allow fear. And even today, you can't allow fear, nor can you allow uh, despair or despondence to, to take over. You have to say things will get better, and you have to put one foot in front of the next. That's what our people have done for the last 400 years. And I think it's incredible that uh, this generation now would say, well, we, we, we can't win. We, we're going to give up. How can you give up now when we're winning? Mm. I'm curious, as a professor, poet, and activist, why do you think creative writing is so important in this season that our world is in? Well, if you're not thinking about what is going to happen that's going to get better, I don't know what you're thinking about. I'm I'm a big fan of creative writing, and I'm not a big fan. I, I can't look at, for example, murder. I look at TV in, in the evening, some evenings, and I can't look at any of the murder shows. I'm not interested in who killed whom and why because all of that is uh, disturbing to me. If I'm looking at TV late at night, I look at the, the, most, the dumbest show on earth, to be honest with you, and it's called Family Feud. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It is. Oh, he is the best dressed man <laughs> on, on, on television. And I've often said, I wonder why President Obama doesn't call, you know, and ask him who dresses him. Because he, he is the best looking guy on television. And you watch that and, and you laugh and you can go to bed smiling. And if you go to bed smiling, then you're going to have dreams. And, and the dream, you're going to laugh in your dreams. And Excuse me. Then you're going to think of something else that you want to say, and you're going to write your poem, or you're going to write your song, or you're going to write your rap. You're going to write what it is that you do, and that's that's what that's what we do. We create mm. something that's going to be a little better. Beautiful. I I love that. What would you say to someone who is just starting out or relearning to discover that creative part of themselves for the first time, and might feel fearful? and taking steps forward and pursuing whatever it is, writing, poetry, music, art, what kind of encouragement would you have to offer them? I think the main thing is you have to remember, and I'm a writer, so the main thing you have to remember is you are your first reader. So when you're reading your work, you have to say to yourself, is this the best that I can do? Is this interesting? And I'm gonna go back to the church and I'm gonna go back to to, uh, the, the community one of the the second people that you're going to read are your church people or you know your 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 club women uh, i grew up with the old i'm in knoxville you know knoxville we had the old club women and so you go and you read to them i think that it's so important not to think about how to make a bestseller or how to make money because we can see look at prince 
and he's gone now. You look at Michael Jackson, and he's gone now. Look at Whitney Houston, and she's gone. And you're looking at all these people who were were such big stars, but they they couldn't handle. They didn't enjoy their lives. And the one thing that you have is your life, and so you should enjoy it. You you should and enjoying it. Uh, a part of enjoying it clearly is what you give back, what you share. You know your ability to to go to the grocery store. A lot of stars can't go to the grocery store. That's ridiculous. <laughs> they can't. I'm serious. Oh, and, it's, and that's it's crazy. I would hate being famous. I definitely want to be able to go to the grocery store without sure. being bothered. And and you go, and the first couple of times you go, everybody's going, oh, my God, look at that, you know. <laughs> and then pretty soon it's like, oh, yeah, you know, right. I know her. It, it's, I used to say that about Michael because I wanted him to go to Fisk, by the way. And I thought the best thing for Michael Jackson would be to go to Fisk University. Huh. And for the first couple of weeks, he, everybody would be, oh, Michael Jackson. And then after that, it would be like, yeah, you know. And people <laughs> would go on about their business, but it would give him an opportunity to make friends. Hmm. Because obviously one of the things he didn't have was friends. Interesting. And so he didn't have anybody to turn to. So he turned to drugs. What kind of sense does that make? Hmm. Nikki, I'm reminded by this conversation that you've had some really amazing friendships over the years. I heard you first met Rosa Parks randomly in an airport. Is that true? Well, it was, just, <laughs> it was really wonderful. It was a rainy day in, in Philadelphia. And... Um, we were both, she was going one place, I was going to, to another, but it was the old Philly airport, if you remember it. And I walked in, and uh, I, I like to have my back, and I, I can sleep any place. So I was looking for where I could put my back and take a nap, because, you know, I, I knew the planes weren't going anyplace. And I looked across the room, and I said, oh, my goodness, that woman looks like Rosa Parks. And so I put my glasses on, and I said, my God, that's, that's Rosa Parks. And she was sitting next to her friend who travels with her, and there was a white guy, and there's nothing wrong with his color, but there was a white guy sitting next to her, and I knew that he did not know who he was sitting next to. And so I was trying to figure out now, how am I going to get him to move? Because I knew I'm gonna get the black woman wasn't going to move. So I knew I had to figure out how to, get, <laughs> how to get the white guy. And, you know, you can do a nice thing with that. You can say, you know, excuse me, sir, you're sitting next to a cultural icon, and I would like to have your seat, please. <laughs> <laughs> but then he'd know he's got something. Or you could, you know, what we call in the old days, Bogart. So I just put my glasses on top of my head and walked over and stood up in front of him and said, you know, are you going to move or what? And he looked up, oh, I'm sorry. He said, I'm sorry. And, and he got out of my way. And I introduced myself. <laughs> and that's how I met her. And it was wonderful. It, it was just wonderful because you have all of these people who are so, I, I just happened to be born in, in, in a good time. But you have all of these wonderful people and you get to, you get to know them, you get to talk with them, and you get to, to enjoy them. And a part of what you're doing with them is, is you're saying you're safe with me. I'm not, I'm not going to write about it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not trying to use you. Mm. I'm, just, I'm just here to say, you know, I, I appreciate you. And it's nice. Miss Parks was a wonderful woman. Oh, that's so good to hear. That makes me so happy. You were also friends with Maya Angelou, right? Oh, yeah. Well, see, Maya, was just, Maya lives just two, two hours from me. I'm here in... Uh, in uh, Blacksburg, Virginia, and she's down there, and in, in, oh, she was in, in Wake Forest. And we always thought Maya could, uh, well, we had a fight, I should say. Um, 
I'm not sure how, how it went. Maya thought she was a good cook, and I know that I am. And so we would have these. She would say, well, I'm fixing whatever she's fixing. You know, you come down, I'll let you taste it. And I'd get in my car, drive down, take my dog and go down. Or some days I'd say, oh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm fixing a, a rack of lamb. Let me show you how to do it. And we would laugh. We, we would cook together, <laughs> and we'd laugh together. Maya's a wonderful. We had a good time. We really, really did. Mm. And she and I, of course, got together when uh, Tony Morrison's uh, son Slade died. She and mm. I had a celebration for Tony to to let Tony know that that we love her. And uh, I've known Tony forever. So it's just one of those. I'm just lucky to be born when I was born, and I I, I recognize wonderful people, mm. and uh, I'm just fortunate to know them. Mm. What has your relationship with these two incredible women taught you about friendship? I think the main thing that, that you learn about the friendship with anybody who is um, uh, a celebrate, you know, celebratory, is uh, you have to you have to give everybody has you have to give them room, and I think a lot of people don't, and I also think a lot of people try to use their uh, their their, cel- their their celebratory. I was reading, you know, of course, it's very sad about uh, Bill Cosby. It, it's very, you know, and um, I'm really sorry, and I'm really sorry that Camille, uh, who was our, I'm, I'm a Delta, who was our sorority sister, and I'm sorry that she wasn't able to turn to one of one of our sisters so that somebody could help her either hospitalize him or divorce him because, you know, obviously there's going to be much more to come out of this than, than what we're than what we're seeing now, and that's that's that that's sad. But everybody needs somebody that they can just sit down and have a cup of coffee with, or if if you drink. Uh, and in the old days when Miss Parks and them, I didn't drink. I've I've, I've started to drink now that I'm old. <laughs> in the old days, in the old days, I didn't. <laughs> so, you know, you just want somebody that you can be safe with. Mm, that's beautiful. Okay, so I have three final questions for you that we love to ask our guests. And the first is, what is your favorite book? Oh, that's 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 really hard. The one that I wrote or somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do both. What is your favorite book that you have written and then your favorite book that someone else has written? Well, my favorite right now that I've written is uh, Chasing Utopia. Oh. Because my mother was a... You know what? I just read that. I sat in the library and I read it all in one sitting. <laughs> thank you. It's it's very good, and I think it's one of your best. Well, too. thank you. Yeah, <laughs> mommy was a a beer drinker, and so uh, that's why I wanted to. When, when she passed, I wanted to to do something to celebrate her. And um, my student Kwame, because uh, I really love the crossover, and I'm rereading that for about the fourth time, and um, I think it's an exceptional book. So right now, that's at the top of my favorite book by by other people Mm. are you working on a book right now did I hear that I am yeah I am working on a book it's called the the good cry because I think women don't uh, even though we uh, even though people say women cry a lot we don't women don't cry a lot Mm. and I think that women need to learn to cry and need to learn that it's all right to cry Mm. would you say the same about men I'm curious I, I don't I don't know. I don't try to <laughs> I'm a woman, so I just deal with what I know. <laughs> That's an incredible answer. I really respect that. Okay, my next question. What is something others may not know about you that might seem crazy? That you think seems crazy? Well, that I like to draw and that I think I can sing. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you 
can sing. Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but as long as you enjoy it, I think that's amazing. I do enjoy it, yep. <laughs> I, I love that. Okay, so my final question for you. What have you found to be your greatest source of inspiration, especially when you're in a rut? I think the main thing for, for me is uh, uh, my grandmother. I always, uh, if, if my back is against the wall, I always ask myself, well, what would grandmother do? What would she think? Mm. How would she handle it? That's beautiful. I love yeah. that. I've read a lot about your family. You write about them often, and they seem to be a beautiful inspiration to you, and I really appreciate you sharing them with all of your readers. No, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. I feel so honored to have had the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you for sharing okay. your hopefulness as a storyteller and for the way you inspire all of us at Story and so many creatives around the world. Thanks again, Nikki. No, thank you, and you take care now. firecracker she is uh i was just cracking up the whole time listening like audacity is that the right word like i picture her sitting in the airport the story about rosa parks and Mm -hmm. she's like oh my word that's rosa parks and this like white dude sitting next to him like has no idea you're sitting next to a cultural icon (laughs) we're trying to figure out how she's gonna kick him out of his seat (laughs) and she like just goes up and was like excuse me are you gonna move or not you know and like he goes oh sorry like i wish i could be there with a video camera to watch that oh my gosh yeah yeah i i kind of creeped on nikki a lot like before we did this interview just because i wanted i've read like a lot of of her work but i didn't really understand like her like persona like who like who she is as a person i kind of want to be prepared like for her personality she has so much joy she has so like, much i think joy. that's what yeah. i got as i was listening to her is like she's so hopeful mm-hmm. I, I think for someone who um you know at her age she's witnessed so much bad totally but yet her her experience and her comments on the whole situation surrounding racism is very hopeful it's, it's very like positive the, it, it were, it's getting better it's not as bad as it was it's getting better and to me that's encouraging and hopeful Totally. I thought that was a really moving point. I feel like a lot of what she was saying is that's how you move forward is like believing things are getting better. Yeah. Yeah. I think as artists, we have to remember that, you know, I was, I I hate to like say so much of her interview. I was laughing a lot, but it really (laughs) was like that. She was filled that much joy and I was cracking up constantly. I loved her story about watching TV Mm -hmm. and it kind of convicted me a little bit sometimes because like, you know, she's like, I can't watch that murder stuff. Like, I don't care who murdered who. Like, I want to watch Family Feud and because it makes me happy. And he's the best bet. What does she say? It's he's like the, the best looking man on TV. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. But it reminded me like, okay, if I want to be a hopeful storyteller, if I want to create art that is meaningful and pushes culture mm-hmm. forward instead of, I don't need to be like a, this angry artist that, totally. and I don't need that. I don't need to let the things of this world that are angry impact and feed my anger totally i think that's such a lie that so many artists are fed that they have to go through some type of tragedy or they have to be really angry about something or like you know like on this like pedestal like of like for a fight and that's not true it's really not like yeah and that said i mean this is an important conversation which is why we're you know we're devoting a lot of attention to this conversation at at the actual conference at the end of september um you know one of the whole sessions that story this year 
uh, is all about that quote that I've been talking a lot about by Walt Disney. And I feel like Nikki embodies that quote where Disney said, that's what we storytellers do, right? We restore order with right. imagination. We can still hope again and again and again. And, you know, she reminds me of people like Martin Luther King, who people might say he was an activist or like a public speaker, but he was a storyteller, right? right. That's what that I have a dream speech was. It was him going, I have this thing that I'm imagining. It's not real yet, but I'm going to tell this story. And together, if we could take this thing in my imagination and make it real and leave it out, we can, we can establish a new narrative and that would become reality. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I think that's what, one of the things that story 2016 is going to accomplish, it's going to cause artists to, to, to leave the room and go, Hmm. Okay. Not, not should I just wonder what role does my childlike imagination play in my work and my creative process day to day, but what in the world around me, what in our culture needs to be reimagined? Mm, um, mm-hmm. I'm so excited to hear from Micah Bornay now listening to her interview. Micah Bornay is one of our speakers this year. And, um, you know, he's a, one of my black friends who is so passionate about this topic, obviously. Um, but does it in such a empathetic way where he understands, yeah, of course, Harris, you can't see everything that I see because, you know, I'm very, very white and I live in a different, uh, like I live a different lifestyle in a different part of the country and different part of town than he does. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have that conversation this year at story. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be really huge. I know, I mean me and I can say so many of my friends are very excited about this conversation too. Cause a lot of us have felt very lost on what next steps should be for us, like as artists and writing like a new narrative for mm-hmm. our country. And, um, I'm really excited to, yeah. Hear more. It's like hashtags make a difference, but it's like we want to do more. There's something deep inside sure. of us that says, I want to play a role, but I don't know what role I'm supposed yeah, to play. Yeah, hashtags can be the first step for yeah. sure, but there's there's more to do. There's a lot more work to do. And yeah. I'm excited to hear how we as artists can be a part of that. Yeah, me too. I can't wait. Well, we're just a few weeks away. Uh, if you don't, if you haven't registered yet for Story, uh, make sure you do that. Go to storygathering.com. Uh, There's a price increase coming up soon, too, as well. So this is your last chance to get your seat at the lowest rate. Um, But more than all of that stuff, I'm just excited about the meaningful conversations they're going to play. And I really feel like what what takes place at Story this year in Nashville is going to echo around the world because we're going to leave investing and doing some of the most creative and most meaningful work that we've ever done. So Mm. thank you guys so much for listening to episode two. We'll see you next week.